But in order to qualify for funding, the, the county seat had to be removed from the project. And so now what you have is a donut hole. Welcome to episode 190 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. As state legislatures consider allocating funds to improve internet access in rural areas, qualifying criteria become an important issue. In this interview, Chris and his guest, Dan Dorman, talk about how Minnesota has developed a problem of the donut hole. Dan is executive director of the Greater Minnesota Partnership, a nonprofit advocacy group dedicated to economic development policies and resources benefiting the areas outside of the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area. Minnesota's border-to-border broadband grant program has awarded grants to sparsely populated areas. And as a result, towns with a little higher population have not had access to funding. They may be surrounded by high-quality internet access in rural areas, while business and residents in these towns are stuck with slow, unreliable connectivity that hampers economic development. Chris and Dan discuss the donut hole phenomena as it has occurred in Minnesota, but this could be any state that chooses to provide funding only to the most rural areas with the worst internet access without considering the areas in between. Here are Chris and Dan Dorman, Executive Director of the Greater Minnesota Partnership. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bids Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I have a repeat guest, Dan Dorman, Executive Director of the Greater Minnesota Partnership. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Chris. Thanks for uh, asking me to be on. Absolutely. I think we have some very interesting um, discussions ahead, stuff that we've been concerned about in terms of how certain kinds of investment can hurt nearby areas uh, in in a more rural setting. And uh, we're really going to dive into that here in Minnesota and what's happening. Um, but first, I want to focus on the uh, Greater Minnesota Partnership. Can you just uh, briefly remind our listeners uh, what it is? Absolutely. The Greater Minnesota Partnership is a advocacy uh, lobby organization that focuses only on economic development issues in Greater Minnesota. And uh, what we realized is that Greater Minnesota, as opposed to the metropolitan area, didn't maybe have a, a clear enough singular voice in the area of economic development. That isn't to say that there's something nefarious that the metropolitan people are up to. They're just organized better than we were, and we're trying to match them on that with our organization. So we worked economic development issues, greater Minnesota only. Our membership is kind of a variety of people. We have uh, businesses, of course, uh, nonprofits, higher ed institutions, chamber of commerces, uh, local EDAs, uh, a few other different types of nonprofits. We started uh, three years ago at about 30 members. We went to 60 members and now we're over 100. So we've been showing some great membership growth and we're optimistic about the future. And when you say greater Minnesota, I think a lot of people instinctively think small rural towns, counties that have very low population density. Um, What is greater Minnesota? Well, as we would define it, or as the legislature, in fact, defines it, it's everything outside of the seven-county metropolitan statistic area. So it would include a couple of the collar counties near uh, the metropolitan area, but it, it does include everything from the folks that live in a township that don't live in an organized city, the people who live in small towns, uh, up to the folks that live in uh, like a Rochester, Duluth, or the, the uh, regional centers in Minnesota as well. 
And last time we talked, we were focused mainly on this uh, program, which uh, Minnesota has developed, and I think uh, which uh, we continue to be thankful for the Minnesota legislature and the governor for putting uh, some money aside for investment in what they're calling border-to-border broadband. Uh, We've argued that there should be more money, and today we're going to talk more about how the program could be strengthened. Um, But but I think that's, you know, just so if people really want to get more into that, we're not going to go into that history so much. We're going to, you know, focus on what's happening today uh, so people can go back to that previous show, which will be linked to in the show notes. Um, So I think a good way to start would be, can you tell me what the problem is in La Caparral County out in the western Minnesota near the South Dakota border? I I think that La Caparral County is just a great example to use of what happens if we have such restrictive language like we do now in Minnesota that really prohibits uh, grant money from going to the majority of people who live inside a city. So in Lacapal County, the, a, a fiber project was done or a broadband project was done several years ago, but in order to qualify for uh, the funding, uh, the, the county seat, Madison, had to be removed from the project. And so now what you have is a donut hole. You have everyone in Lacapal County with really good broadband, with the exception of the folks that live in the county seat who have substandard broadband and I'm not sure how they're going to ever get that fixed if we don't change the language in the program. Because right now, the way it sits, if a provider in the city or whoever were to come forward in Madison, which is the county seat, apply for a broadband grant in Minnesota, they wouldn't be eligible. And so what we're trying to do is uh, find a way to fix that to make communities like Madison eligible for funding. In the past, uh, Madison was the reverse donut hole where they had, for the time, comparatively better access because most of the county was stuck on satellite up and satellite and dial up, whereas Madison had very slow DSL and very poor cable service. But it was something, and because of that something, they were not uh, they were not able to get any support at that point from the federal government. Um, but also, what you were saying is the Minnesota state program basically has the same thing. Now, how would you describe the the way the state program is structured um, with regard to where uh, the program can invest and where it cannot? I would split that in two separate areas. The, the technical aspect of it, which says that the kind of like in Lackaparra County prior to the buildup they, they went through, is that, say that had not been done, what would happen now is the same thing. Madison would be excluded and the rest of the county could, could get upgraded. So technically, it works very similar to how the federal funding did, and it pushes the funding into the most remote areas. And certainly not saying that those folks don't need to be brought up too, because they do. Uh, so that's kind of the, the technical side of it. But I think the political policy, how did we get here side of it, is is where the story is. And I think that if you go back two years to where the program started, there was language put in that sort of mirrored the federal language that, again, forced it uh, into the more remote areas. And that mix is really important, Chris. And so we talk about how do we get to, to real dollars, not $10 million a year. We really won't make any improvements at $10 million a year. So how do we get that number up? How do we get a better mix? I believe that the only way to get there is by making sure that more people in greater Minnesota qualify uh, for funding. As it is right now, uh, we asked the Office of Broadband for a list of cities that would qualify for funding. We analyzed that, and and here's what I can tell you, that only 2% of uh, greater Minnesota residents that live in a city live in a city that would qualify for funding. That means that 
98% of the folks that live in a city in greater Minnesota aren't going to see any improvement under this program if we can't change the language. Another way to look at that is only 18% of the total residents in greater Minnesota live in an area that would qualify for funding. I don't see us getting to the, you know, I applaud the governors and lieutenant governor coming out and recommending $100 million in funding. I'm just not sure we can get there with a program that excludes so much of greater Minnesota. And we'll continue to to create things like the Donut Hole and Lake Park County. And for people who uh, aren't as familiar, the, this program was created uh, about three years ago. It first got $20 million, and the second year it only got $10 million. I think many of us have been very frustrated that for whatever the flaws of the program, it deserved more money in years in which we had a budget surplus. Um, but I, I, I very much agree with you. Like The idea of putting so much more money into it is flawed if we're going to leave out um, uh, these uh, the, the population centers, no matter if they already have some cable or DSL service, but the the thing that that I've that I've seen, and, and I'll just I'll point names, and and you don't have to, um, is that when this debate was happening, the cable lobbyists were so savvy, and in particular Comcast, who in my experience are the best uh, lobbyists in Minnesota on these matters. The other cable companies join them, but I think Comcast often leads it, and I think their position was basically: we don't care if the state spends a bunch of money improving access; we just want to make sure that in no possible world world will it ever result in competition or or or, or new service um, being provided where there's already a cable company operating um, and I think that the argument they made was was persuasive with legislators which was basically like the state should not put a dollar into um, into a city that has slow cable service if that dollar could be spent on someone who has no options and I, you know I'm, I'm curious how you respond to that no, I, I think you see it exactly right. I, I, number one, I was surprised by the veracity and amount of money that Comcast, I will name them because they were there and they did spend a ton of money uh, influencing this program. And the amazing thing is Comcast service territory is like 99% in the metro area. At no That's point what I was going to have. They, they yeah. have very little in greater Minnesota. It perplexed the heck out of me that they were uh, so vehemently opposed to this or trying to get language that would hurt. You, you look back at that, and, and I addressed some of these issues with some of their lobbyists when the program was being set up. And and uh, one of the questions I asked was, gee, you know, you're working really hard to cut yourself out of any possibility of, of a grant. Why would you want to do that? Uh, I own uh, a small retail store in Albert Lee. Mention this podcast. We'll get you a discount. Uh, but I, I, you know, in my world, if somebody wanted to create a fund for tires, I mean, I'd be all about that. And so I said to the Comcast representative, why would you want to work this hard to cut yourself out? And the answer was, and this is what the compelling, it sounds so good, is, oh, gee, we're fine. Don't worry about us. It's just those poor people out there with no service. That's who needs the help. It isn't us. We're going to take care of everything all as well. And that sounds so good until you look back at history and see what has happened with uh, federal funding, for example, and that's how we ended up with the donut hole in Madison. So ultimately, if you follow it forward to what it what it what it leads to is, and you hit it right on the head, it is trying to make sure there's no competition in areas where they effectively have a unregulated monopoly. That's not a healthy uh, situation for consumers or for the businesses in those communities. And now if we look at a county that has um, poor access throughout and you put some money into improving that access in the, in the economic center um, where you can actually get some economic development, you know, what does that do for the whole region? Is there a multiplier effect of sorts or is that just something that will only benefit the city? 
clearly it's a, it's a has a multiplier of benefit and will impact more than just the city because generally a city is where most of the economic development takes place within a county, particularly in greater Minnesota. And so um, most businesses, in fact, from a land use standpoint, that's where you want it to occur because you have the sewer and water and other critical infrastructure there. So you want to encourage that growth in the city centers. But where do people live? Oftentimes they live somewhere near the city. They don't all live in the city. In fact, if you look at a city like Perm, they have more uh, people coming inside the Perm to work during the day than there is in total residents. So a lot of people live right around the city. So obviously, if you help those businesses expand, uh, create better paying jobs within a city, that brings up the whole region. And what happens when in a place like Madison, you can only get better internet access by leaving the city? What, what happens to the communities? Uh, you'll start to see that community go the other way. They won't be, they'll, they'll start to lose population. They will not build a tax base that will help them be vibrant. And uh, I think ultimately, you know, it sounds overly dramatic, but if that is not fixed in the future, those communities will start to die and other communities that, that are surrounded that got the upgrades will, will start to grow. I think uh, an example of this, Chris, that we should all really keep an eye on is, is uh, Candy, Ohio County in the city of Wilmer. So you've got the city of Wilmer as the hub, and uh, there's some discussion there about what do we do. And from my view, I can always tell when there's been an active uh, local provider because you start to get the comments of, oh, gee, things are fine here in the city. Let's just let's just do the rest of the county, kind of like what happened in uh, Lake Oparo. If that happens in Candy, Ohio County, that would be devastating for the city of Wilmer in the long run. They may have adequate, I would argue they don't, but they may have what they think is adequate broadband for their businesses today. But if you upgrade the rest of Candy, Ohio County, leave the city of Wilmer out, and somebody needs to expand next time, they're going to look at the the other communities within Candy, Ohio County or outside of the county, and you're going to start to uh, see Wilmer decline. And this is where you know my organization um, is a is a fierce opponent of Walmart, and I would say that one of our critiques of a store like Walmart is that it drags the boundaries of the community out, and it and it sort of hurts Main Street in a way that forces a community to build more and more infrastructure that's harder to support because it's so dispersed. Um, and I think that's one of the dynamics you may see here in terms of dispersing the tax base in ways that that just it doesn't benefit anyone in the county because it's so much harder to support. People people when they're that spread out. Right. No, no question about it. You know, often, Chris, um, and, and I've used the analogy as well, people will talk about, well, this is like rural electrification, right? You've heard that, you know, we, we ran uh, electricity out to the farm and this is the same thing. But you know what? It, re- it really isn't. There's one, there's one difference. When uh, we, we electrified the farms, which was clearly a good thing, it was the same service that folks in town had. What we're doing now is we're saying, you folks in town, you just sort of, we'll give you an upgraded gas lamp, but because you have that upgraded gas lamp, we're going to run super fast electricity out to the farms and, and it'll all work out. And that's kind of what's happening. And so if you think about that, think about it in those terms, what's the natural progression is going to say, hey, I don't want to be in this this uh, somewhat nice gas lamp area. I'm going to go over there where they've got this great electricity. And, and that's that's what we're doing. And we, we, we ought to reverse that. We ought to get behind the governor's request of that $100 million, but only with changes to make sure that more people qualify for this funding.
I know the city of Austin is looking at one, and there it's it's the school district wide. So it isn't simply the city, it isn't just the, the townships, but everybody's vote is going to come up together. I think we achieve more, get further when when projects like that are also eligible for funding. One of the things that I think projects like that, which I think of as blended projects, where you have uh, some people that are in the, the, the hardest to serve areas and you have some people in areas which are uh, often already have some level of service, although it's generally not very high quality service, um, and you blend them together. Um, one of the benefits is that project is more financially viable moving forward. Um, I think one of the, the dangers of a, of a program like Minnesota's is that it's encouraging subsidies to areas that might be the hardest to maintain over time. And, and the risk is, and I don't think we've seen any danger of that yet, because I, I think the office has done a good job of providing um, oversight. And I think you know a lot of the co-ops that I'd like to see getting this money are very responsible. But a danger would be that if you're building in non-blended areas, the costs of maintaining that network over the long haul are, may require more subsidies. And we should be fiscal responsible in doing a one-time infusion that solves this problem for the long term. I agree. And and the other thing that we have to be aware of, Chris, what will happen, because I saw it last year, is the same people that kind of force what I would call bad language will then come back and say, see, this program's a failure because look at all these maintenance costs and they can't even pay the maintenance costs. That's why the government shouldn't be pawing around in it. So I think that there's, there's, there's that that's I don't know how intentional it was, but that is the result of what can happen. Last year, what I saw was uh, people did the math on the cost per hookup of, of the grants in round one, took that around every legislature and said, see, look at what we told you. This is you know really costly. This is why we don't do it. And so the same people that were saying, boy, only go serve those really hard to get to areas at high cost, then came back later and used that as a reason to fight against the program. Right. If you were building in an area like Austin, then you need less of a subsidy overall because you were um, you were mixing and matching the way for 100 years effectively we did with the telephone company to make sure everyone had service. Um, exactly. You know, one of the things that, that I find interesting about all this is, is in, in this industry, I find a number of uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of approaches. I think that um, that Lake County did the responsible thing and they built to everyone in the county and even some of the folks folks in St. Louis County. Um, and what they what they found was just incredible opposition from um, Mediacom and Frontier, um, because even though Mediacom and Frontier hadn't bothered to upgrade the two major population centers, which were relatively small, um, you know, they fought tooth and nail to make sure that those people would not have another choice. And so Lake County has had just a tremendous fight on its hands because it didn't want to create donut holes. Right, and, and and I applaud them for not because uh, they shouldn't. And and so when I get asked a, a question, someone is, well, what if somebody comes? Essentially, you know, boy, I hate this program because someone might come and take my good customers from me. Well, Chris, in my business, in my tire business, you know how I ensure somebody doesn't take my customers from me? I take care of them. Odd concept. I invest in, you know, we invest in, in equipment. We invest in technology. We invest in uh, educating our employees, whatever we have. We make sure that we're able to compete so nobody can come in and take my customer from me. That's what that's what these companies should do. Rather than say, oh, we don't want to build out so we don't want anybody else to, go take care of your customers and you won't have a problem. 
Yeah, you know, nobody wants to switch cable or telephone companies. It's not like someone sitting at home and thinking, ah, oh, next month I want to change again. People hate switching, and that's it's a measure of how frustrated they are when they only have that one choice that treats them poorly that they do want to switch because nobody wants to switch. I mean, like, no one wants to get a new email address, see if things work. They're worried that they may not. There's There's so many hassles involved with it. Yep, exactly. Anyway, I think, um, you know, I, I'm getting a little bit too worked up about this, perhaps. Um, although, frankly, a lot more, a lot of people need to get more worked up. But I want to be very clear. What is the, the partnership's position, um, on the program? Um, you know, this is something that, uh, you're not opposing now. You're, you're working with the legislature to change it. Is that right? That is correct. We passed a, a resolution. Our board did uh, the other day that says that we support the governor's request for $100 million uh, with changes to the program that will allow for uh, more economic development-oriented projects, city projects, to be able to move forward. Right. And one could imagine even um, having the program earmark some funds. This is something that I've encouraged in New York State, where they're doing $500 million, um, is to say, you know, you, you don't have to spend all the money in the same way. If you want to say half of that money wants to go only to the people that have absolutely no options, fine. But some of the other money should be set for, the, for uh, some of the economic development wins that greater Minnesota needs to make sure that people still want to live near those uh, population centers. We think that would be a very good way to get at what we're talking about because then you still help the people that have that incredibly poor service, but you don't you don't kick the rest of the people out either. Everybody comes up together, and so I met with a group of rural education folks. Uh, they were one of the groups at the, at the table, and I said, "Well, geez, we're we're concerned. You know, we want to make sure that that kid that has no internet access doesn't have to drive into town." And so that's kind of that buy into boy, let's only fund these projects. And I said, "Well, that's great." But let's say you get 100% of the money now, but it's $10 million. You'd be much better off getting 50% of, of, let's say we don't get to $100 million. Let's say we get to $60 million. You'd be better off getting half of $60 million than you are 100% of $10 million. So the way to get more money into this program that will benefit everybody isn't to say, hey, just take care of me only. It's to say, look, we're in this together. Let's not leave anybody out. I think that's a great place to wrap up because um, I moved here from Pennsylvania. And one of the things that I've loved in over 20 years, 25 years of living in Minnesota is a sense that we are looking out for each other and we're embracing policy that allows us all to do better rather than just one or two people to do better. Right. And that has been a strong Minnesota tradition in this area. Uh, We have forgotten it. I mean, uh, we had a meeting the other day in the office and I always talk about the fact that uh, bugs me that we're behind uh, uh, Belarus, and it turns out we're also behind Romania. Uh, that's just ridiculous in Minnesota. And in fact, Chris, the, the sad news is since we started the program two years ago, Minnesota has slipped in its state rankings. So as a, as a state that prides itself on being so forward-thinking in this area, we've really uh, dropped the ball. I was a little bit disappointed in the governor's task force. I think they backed away on some of our broadband goals. I mean, we were going to be uh, top five by 2015. Clearly, we didn't make it. But to simply push that out to 2022 or 2025 isn't isn't the answer to how we get there. We need to step our game up and get there quicker. Oh, I absolutely agree. I, th- I think that's one of the dangers of these task forces, again, is that they tend to be captured by incumbent interests who have an interest in, in delaying those sorts of things. 
particularly if you work on, and I believe they do, uh, they work on consensus. And I've never been a big fan of consensus anyway because I don't believe in anything really meaningful. You can get consensus. You can get 85% or 80% or uh, 90% of the people in one direction. It's it's time for that train to leave the station because usually the compromises you make to get that last few people to, to ride into camp uh, likely really hurt the program. And I think that's what is hurting the, the broadband task force. But I think that's a, that's a very accurate statement. And I'll say that as someone who tends to be a bit of a contrarian, I just find it hard to be in majorities. So <laughs> it can be a challenge. Uh, thank you right. so much for coming back on the show and talking about sure. these important issues with us. Absolutely. Uh, look forward to visiting with you in the future and working with you as we uh, help make Minnesota broadband a reality. That was Chris, an executive director of the Greater Minnesota Partnership, Dan Dorman. Learn more about their position on the Border to Border Broadband Development Grant Program and the organization at gmnp.org. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. You can now follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter, where the handle is at muninetworks.org. We want to thank Kathleen Martin for the song Player vs. Player, licensed through Creative Commons. And we want to thank you for listening to episode 190 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.